Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with me, Eyal Shai. My guest today is Lyle McKinney. Hi Lyle. Hey, how's it going, Eyal? Pretty good, thanks for coming on. And would you mind telling us, we're ready, tell us what we're going to discuss today. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of vulnerability. Um, it comes up a fair amount in my writing um, and then also like people's reaction to my writing because um, I tend to be pretty open and vulnerable in it. Um, and I think I have this view that I think vulnerability is a bit of a superpower um, and can be scary, but it can also be kind of the key to unlocking a lot of things in life. Um, so yeah, I wanted to Talk about that. There's a whole bunch of angles we could come at it from. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was excited when you first told me we would talk about that. Um, and soon I'll want to um, get your origin story and relate it to the concept at hand. But I also want to say that vulnerability today, I have heard a number of people, including top podcasters, kind of now voicing this mantra that, you know, lead with vulnerability, lead with vulnerability. And we hear that a lot. And I'd like to, um, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of digging deeper into it and seeing why after all this praise that vulnerability and leading with vulnerability gets, it's still not something that most people feel comfortable um, doing. So that being said, I'd love to hear from you um, if you could go back in time and place us on your personal timeline at a time that maybe you've faced any sort of um, challenge or situation that kind of intuitively connect in your mind with vulnerability. Yeah. In some ways I'm like, what do I pick? Cause there's been a lot of <laughs> instances Um you know, I think it's, it's almost like not always in the moment for me of, of a situation, especially a more intense or like traumatic type of experience, but more so in the processing of that experience later on. Um, and that could be through, you know, more like a more like formal, like professional setting, like talking to a therapist or something like that, um, or your partner or whoever, um, and opening up about it and expressing how you feel about it and how it affected you as opposed to bottling things up. And that can come out in all different kinds of ways that could be positive or negative, depending on who you are and where you're at in life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had a number of experiences that I would consider like pretty intense. And, you know, I think how I've responded to them maybe not in the moment, but 
later on has really helped. Um, and that takes, I think, a lot of vulnerability to do that. So like the, the biggest example in my life happened about a little over three years ago when my daughter was born. Um, so she was born, she wasn't breathing. And like, honestly, for a little while there, we thought we had lost her. Um, but the doctors resuscitated her. Um, but as a result, she has cerebral palsy, which is a lifelong disability, like a muscle, muscle movement disorder. Um, basically cause there was a lack of blood and oxygen to her brain for a period of time. So there was an injury to her brain. Um, and, you know, in the moment it's just intense and, you know, you, I, that was my first, my first, uh, uh, daughter or my first child. I have a stepdaughter, but obviously I didn't meet her till she was four. Um, but, um, you know, and then, then those first few moments, you have this vision of what it should be, what it's going to be like. And then it, you know, the next thing, you know, they're doing, you know, like CPR on her in the corner of the room in this, um, little crib. Uh, and you know, it just completely changes your, your whole life in an instant there. Right. I mean, having a kid period changes your life. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine it. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you all the while in those uh, dreams, kind of dreams that you build for yourself and kind of mm-hmm. go on uh, this trail of imagination and yeah, to have that uh, crushed basically. Um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about how this is not the, the end of the world, right? There is a world after that to live and, and to be, yeah. and to live well. Um, but at that moment, I'm sure it's, it's nothing short of crushing. Totally. Yeah. And it's, and it's surreal. It's like, you feel like you're watching it more than living it in a way. Um, but, you know, I would say like my, how I've dealt with it since, you know, is like, I think in somewhat more of a healthy way than some other people I know who've gone through similar situations where they feel like they can't talk about it because people don't understand it. Um, but I've been almost opposite. I'll, I'll go into details and, and then I write about it a lot. Um, and the response I've gotten from those type of pieces that I've written has been amazing from not just people I know, but people I'd have never met and probably never will meet. Um, and that that's empowering in some ways. And it may, and it gives it some validity or feels validating, you know, that, okay, this was an intense experience and it feels, it feels good to get it out there and sort of get it off your chest. Um, and then also talking to, um, you know, both, I, I, both a personal therapist that I went to, and then also my wife and I both went to a couple therapists because, you know, to help process it together and all the other things that happen around that. Cause it's just like disrupted our live lives. And, um, you know, we had to figure out, you know, how to, how to work together, you know, and, um, you know, but there was a time in my life where I thought like there, you know, I had a very, you know, happy childhood for the most part and, you know, nothing, crazy, pretty, pretty, uh, privileged, I would say in a lot of ways. Um, so I remember there was a time where I was heard someone was going to therapy and I was like, Oh, that's probably something I'll never need to do just cause I'm a pretty well-adjusted person who has, hasn't had anything crazy happen to them. 
but I've since like done a complete 180 on that. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, my wife and I are definitely on board as far as like, if there's some, some issue going on, we'd rather like, if we can't figure it out on our own, we're going to go talk to someone else, sort of like a neutral third party to help, help us navigate the situation, give us like some tools to work through it, you know? Um, but that takes some vulnerability to do that. Right. And both, both of us need to be willing to go there, uh, and, and do the work, uh, you know, I've heard definitely lots of other couples with that. They don't, they don't go through that. And then, you know, it just causes problems for months on end. And then sometimes it ends in divorce, you know, if you just communication is a big issue. Um, but, it, but like I said, it does take some vulnerability to go there. Um, and then, you know, like with my, with my writing, it's, it's, it's definitely, I would say a big part of my writing is, is to be sort of laid it all out there as much, as best I can. Yeah, and this brings so many thoughts to my mind about the concept of vulnerability because, first of all, when it comes to actual real life, not what we say in words and what we project to the outside, we're all vulnerable whether we like it or not, rather, right? Whether, whether we're going to announce to the world, hey, I'm vulnerable, or I'm going to say to the world, I'm invulnerable. At the end of the day, really, as people... Um, everything can go wrong for us at any point. And, um, and I learned that early in life. So it's kind of interesting to see how people say lead with vulnerability when we already are vulnerable. If we just spend one moment thinking about any person in our life, they are vulnerable, whether they say it or not. And you learned it uh, in this instance, in this three years ago, you learned it in a, in a very real way that you were vulnerable to begin with. So really what we're meaning when we say lead with vulnerability is the fact that we're admitting uh, that we are vulnerable, right? And I wonder why most of us are vulnerable, but don't like to talk about how they vulnerable. And mm. yeah, so I want to get your 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 thoughts on that, um, if you've noticed anything, what do you think causes people not to admit what is actually quite obvious if given a minute of thought? Well, I think part, part of the reason is because it's scary. You know, it's, it's, it's doing that, that um, <laughs> part of the call back to your podcast name, but the deep dive into your psyche, right? It's like, what's, what's really driving what you're doing or what you're feeling. Um, yeah, that, that's not easy, you know, not, you know, it's, it's easy to say like, Oh, be vulnerable. And like, that's, you know, um, how you're going to help process things or like be, you know, a better person in the world, but it's not easy to do, you know, um, I write when I write, uh, I'm always trying and I don't always do this, but I'm always trying to go like a level deeper as much as I can. Um, I got some great advice from a writing coach a few months back that's helped me think about this. Because um, I'd written something in a piece about, um, it was like one of, a chapter from a book I'm working on where we were in the hospital and my daughter was intubated, right? So, and I said this line, something like, you know, because um, it was the second time I think it was the second time that she had been intubated. 
and I said something like no parent should ever see their, their, uh, child intubated once much, much less twice. That's like a line I had in there. And, um, and it's like, that's an obvious kind of an obvious statement in, in his advice. He said, he goes, I could write that. And literally no one would argue with me. (laughs) Everyone would say, yeah, that's true. You know, he's like, but what, but you were there in the room. You know, I was there in the room and he goes, what was that like? You know, um, so get into the specifics of your situation that no one else could know unless they were there in that room. And that's where it's, that's where the vulnerability comes in, right? It's easy to say this sort of blanket statement. That's kind of a universal statement, right? But it was harder for me, like I've since changed that part to be more about like, like using, it's maybe sounds a little brutal, but using like this visual imagery of like seeing a tube getting shoved down my daughter's throat, basically, right? Cause that's what what happens when they integrate someone. And, you know, she was only a couple of days old and, um, you know, it's like not something you want, I want to like relive all the time, but I'm, I think for the purposes of this piece of writing, it makes it more memorable and more, makes it, it, it also helps me process it more, you know, like I can, mm-hmm. I can think about that situation. I know I'm not in that now. There's no risk of her necessarily having that done like tomorrow or something. Um, but it helps me to, to kind of like also get my readers into like how, how I was in that moment and, and what I was experiencing and feeling, you know, so I get into what it physically looked like, what the room was like, sort of, there was a bit of chaos going on with, there was lots of nurses and doctors in there. Um, and then what that felt like for me, which when you're in that moment, it's very hard to process those feelings and like, you know, um, even the way I physically felt like not, not even just emotionally. Um, but now looking back, cause it's been three plus years, I can write about it and be a little bit detached from it, but also still, um, you know, I think it, it helps me appreciate what we've been through. And I think that that's like a huge part of, uh, vulnerability is just understanding what, what you're dealing with you know appreciation is is something I'll, I'll want to come back to and it really sounds to me now that we're talking about it and and examining this it really looks like this whole vulnerability being vulnerable in speech and and being honest about things it's it's really about us facing something that we don't want to face, right? Because like I said, the vulnerability is there, whether we like it or not. Um, But we go to such lengths so as to not face the kind of dangers that we know deep down are out there, um, but we don't want to, to come face to face with. And we somehow think that if we're going to close them off by not talking about them, not expressing them, then maybe they won't happen, you know, uh, which is something I think becomes impossible when you go in a situation like that. Or, you know, when I wake up one morning and my father has to tell me that, that my mom just won't be there anymore. Um, and that just brings uh, truth right into your life. And I'm wondering 
what why the effect is so strong when it comes to other people why it actually in the end if you've gone through this thing and you're sharing your thoughts and your feelings about it how come it lets so many people actually open up be there with you um, send you these uh, letters of gratitude or appreciation that you've managed to touch them in this way and it's almost Like they're waiting for you. That's why it's called lead with vulnerability, right? They, they were waiting for you to do it like they wouldn't take the first step. But now that you've stepped forward and you're saying, hey, you know, vulnerable person here uh, saw this firsthand. We're very fragile. Everything is fragile. Um, and then they're jumping in and they're happy to share this. Well, with you, their emotions and feelings, possibly, but just happy to be in, this, in that same boat, you know, and, and enjoy it. And it's just really interesting, the whole dynamic that makes it rare. Like, why aren't we doing it more if we already know that this is uh, what's happening? I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, what comes to mind, first of all, is... is we're all just really busy, right? So it, it's in it's, we've got bills to pay, we've got kids to take care of, we've got, you know, maybe parents that are, you know, like nagging us or whatever it may be, or they're like, or they're sick or something, who knows, right? Like it could be any number of things that are going on in our lives at any given moment. You know, you have, you have to just keep moving, you know, um, we have careers, we have family, we have whatever. Um, all these things are vying for our attention. And like I said before, You know, doing this examination, this like, you know, being vulnerable with yourself and then maybe even being vulnerable like out in the world with writing or whatever is hard work. It's not easy. So it takes time. Um, it takes a lot of mental, um, it's taxing mentally, you know? Um, and so it's easy not to do. And, but the thing is, if you keep sweeping it under the rug, it's going to fester, especially if it's something very, um, intense, you know? Um, and, You know, I, I don't necessarily think everyone should write a blog and put it out there in the world, you know, and, and get, you know, to try to get that feedback from other people. I, I personally like doing that. And, and I think it's been very beneficial for me, but even just the act of writing something down in like a journal or something like that, that, you know, I had this, it, it could be very, it can be very, uh, transformative. I think and I had this piece that I wrote called, uh, called I broke up with my therapist <laughs> um, because I'd been seeing the guy for a while. Um, I started seeing him maybe like four or five months after my daughter was born. Uh, but then, you know, through a lot of work I did with him and then other things, um, you know, we got to a place where it was kind of like each session felt like it wasn't really helping that much. And so I, I you know, I said to him, you know, I think I'm kind of thinking about like stopping for a while. And he goes, Oh, I was wondering when you would, would bring this up. because he, you know, he was kind of feeling the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, we were talking about my writing and he said, he noticed a huge change once I started writing, uh, and then also publishing it, um, publicly. He's like, there was just like a very clear change in you. And like, I was able to kind of write through a lot of the stuff that I would talk through with him. Right. 
Um, and he said this line is something like, you know, he's talked to other therapists, friends of his and colleagues or whatever. And they and they say, sometimes writing can be better than therapy in their mind, because it, it's just you and the page and it does, you don't have to show it to anyone either. You could burn it after it doesn't matter, but it's just about getting the thoughts out of your head. Um, there's that other concept, uh, morning pages that people do, which I did for a little while, but, um, that was a, a number of years ago, but the idea of just getting whatever thoughts that are racing through your head just out onto the page, there's like a therapeutic benefit to it. Right. Um, and that can allow yourself to be a little bit more open and vulnerable with yourself, which is the first step to any of this, I think. Um, so, so I think, I think kind of going back to your question, the, the, it's hard, <laughs> you know, um, I know people think of journaling or even the morning pages thing as like, oh, that's something I should do. They talk about it, like going to the gym, you know, um, oh, I really should get back to doing it. Oh, I should get in this habit. Right. Um, one thing I would say to them. So like, I have this great, I have a streak of like 550 days or something like that in a row of journaling. But sometimes it's literally one sentence because I'm just like, I don't really want to write much today. And it's just, <laughs> but I'm going to keep my streak going. But that's how I started it because I, I heard a podcast and I don't remember who it was, said something like, just lower the bar, like just write one sentence, like what you did that day. And then, you know, build up a habit and, you know, I'll have days where I do that still, but then I have other days where I go into a little bit more, like, it's like I need to vent about something or whatever. Um, and so I use this app and it keeps a streak and now I get this long streak and I feel like, oh, I got to write something every day, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's been very helpful, you know, um, but yeah, it's hard to fit in those things when you've got all these other things vying for your attention and, you know, trying to make ends meet or whatever. Um, so I think that's probably the root of it, um, you know, just purely a time thing. And then also the, just like it's mentally taxing and it's not easy to do, you know, um, but I'm, I'm a proponent of, of getting deeper with that. I mean, I think I, I read a lot of other people's writing and sometimes they're personal stories. Other times they're maybe like business related posts or things like that, but oftentimes they'll have like some sort of personal story element to them. And I feel like I'm constantly like, get more specific, do, you know, dig into this more, you know, tell us like a really good anecdote that illustrates this. Um, it's just really easy for people to go more general, you know, um, but because it, it, it's because it's it feels very like oh this is a universal truth everyone can latch on to but oddly the more specific you could get the more it's going to resonate with people yeah i'm with you i mean a hundred percent this podcast i i don't really brand things but i do put it in the in the genre i invented myself of, of warm philosophy you know because we could talk about vulnerability as if we're um mid um third millennium bc greeks about the meanings and where it comes from and you know and sometimes and i do do that too so it's still philosophy like it's interesting to me that the world come that the word comes from vulnus in latin which is wound and you know being able to um tell everyone that you can be wounded, okay, or something mm -hmm. like that. Like, that's interesting. But if it stayed only on that realm of just uh, kind of 
academic discussion or something, I find the same thing as you, that it's just not en as engaging. And I want to hear the people. I want to know really what was the problem in your life that got you thinking about this because the context really matters. You know, there's nothing that I dislike more than so-called philosophers who are sitting in their ivory tower writing one <laughs> thing and living completely different, right? So um, I think an example I already gave on this podcast, and I hope I'm not missing some biographical details that make me sound like a fool, but I think a, a, an epitome of this would be Alan Watts, right? So like a generator of these wonderful quips about the self and, and good life, and then the man dies of alcoholism. So it's like a, quite a good example. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, you said so many things. So first of all, it was funny for me to get this flashback because I realized that when I was about 20, I had gone to a, a therapist myself and it was the first time that I decided to go to therapy and wasn't kind of encouraged to go there by whatever authority figures in my life. And I was excited to go there because I chose to and I got a lot, a lot out of it. He was the kind of therapist who doesn't say much and it, which is okay because I can, I, I was able to talk for hours and I broke up with him, but in a, in a quite different way than, than how you did it. I was just like, yeah, I'm good now. So I'm not going to come anymore. And he was like, no, there's this process. We need to finish the process or something. I'm, mm -mm, no, I'm, I'm just not going to come anymore. And it turned out well. Uh, I never did come back or, or saw another therapist, if that's any sign for a good thing. I'm not sure. Uh, I went to medicate myself in, in other ways. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, and then to touch on, you, on the whole appreciation thing, which we touched and, and about others and why I think it's really important, like you, that we do get to touch on these things. If we close ourselves to the possibility, or if we just don't want to think about the possibility that tragedies happen, you know, we're also closing ourselves off to the possibilities that how great things are when they just go as, as expected. And this, mm. this is where yeah. the appreciation is, you know, and this is something that I also found the hard way in my life, but I'm so happy that I did. So I'll give an example when just having a daughter, I, I also have a three-year-old um, daughter and we thought for probably about a year explicitly about whether it's a good idea to even have children, right? There's global warming. We know there's like population explosion, all these troubles that you can think. And in the end, I realized it's, not something that you can really get to an ultimate logical solution. It's really about how you feel. And me and my yeah. wife felt like we wanted to have a kid, you know? So I realized that, but even within myself, I already knew that having a child is something that just widens the spectrum of possible emotion that you're going to have, right? Of course, we all like to think about the positive side of that spectrum. 
you're going to see your child walking for the first time. You're going to see them. Oh, you're going to call them a genius for doing that. You're going to have a great time at the beach, you know. Um, all these memories that you can, as you said, you can kind of go on and on in your mind about them. And it's amazing how, how few people think about, you know, what kind of tragedies can happen to you if you have a child the kind of tragedy that you absolutely 100% could not have if you didn't have a child. So I'm thinking about parents who lost their children, you know? When you bring a child into the world, that's a possibility. And because I'm so trained in this kind of stoic thinking, I was thinking that, and I'm still thinking that every day. And it's unsettling. It's still unsettling. But if you can contain this and stay with it for a moment, then you realize that everything that you do have um, is amazing, right? And another thing is, I, and I, I'd like to hear from you also about the continuation past this huge event that you didn't foresee that was uh, net negative at the time, especially at the time when you experience it. But then it's also amazing how many times people have to say to other people and to themselves and how many times people find out that a bad thing happening to you could lead to new good things in the future. Um, yeah, so I want to hear a little bit about how being vulnerable and writing about it and also within yourself how did that make things better? And do you have this message that, you know, life goes on and there's still good things to be experienced after a trauma? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, thanks for sharing your perspective with your daughter. Cause I honestly, I wish I had that mindset a little bit more before she was born. I wrote something to that effect in the form of a, an advice column piece. It was a friend of mine who was about to have a kid and he asked me a question. And I said, Hey, I, I'm thinking about doing this advice column thing. Can I start with your question? And he said, yeah. So, um, you know, I said, I basically said exactly what you said, which is just sit with the possibility that something could go not well. Um, and you know, don't dwell on it. Don't ruminate on it. Cause that'll, that's asking to like get depressed about something, but that, you know, just, just sit with it for a bit and go, okay, if that were to happen, how might I react or what would that, how would that feel? And so then you're maybe just a little bit more prepared for it if it does happen. Right. Whereas I was completely blindsided. I mean, I was basically, you know, uh, we, we had our daughter on, it was a very, very early Monday morning, but it was like the date, literally the day before my wife was like, at the pool swimming with her uh, swimming group that she swims with on Sunday mornings. Um, and, you know, we had gone to the doctor on Friday. So a few days before and the doctor said like, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if she comes a little late, you know, the due date was exactly on Monday. She was born on her exact due date. He's like, oh, it might take a little bit longer, but everything looks good. So it was like really no indication whatsoever that anything was wrong. Uh, and so, you know, you're just going in thinking like all these positive thoughts of like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And, you know, the typical, like, you know, best day of my life was when my 
my kid was born type thing, you know, but I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say it's the worst day of my life, but it's up there. Um, <laughs> right. Um, Understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but at the same time, it's weird. It's weird because it is as a very difficult traumatic day, very long traumatic day. Cause we we're up very early in the morning. Um, but you know, now we have my daughter who, you know, it's like the person I probably love most in the world and like would do anything for. Um, so that came from that traumatic experience. Right. Um, but it's interesting. You mentioned stoicism because stoicism has been, uh, helpful force in my life when it comes to this stuff. Um, the interesting thing is I had read some before about, about stoicism and, um, particularly, uh, Ryan Holiday's book, the obstacle is the way, um, I'd read, I had listened to that or something while I commuted one day or, you know, or, uh, you know, at one point, um, and, you know, kind of dabbled in it a little bit, but I never really thought of it in the context of like having a child for some reason. Um, but since then, like that particular message in particular, that, that, uh, the obstacles away concept really, I latched onto that after she was born. I mean, very quickly, I was like, okay, this is a huge obstacle, you know, that we did not expect. And we had to figure out how to embrace it or navigate around it or whatever metaphor you want to use, um, to try to figure out how to live life. Right. Um, we had things like most parents would deal with where, you know, you go, Oh, like you have these different, uh, milestones that they're trying to hit stuff. Okay. That's all out the window. So it's like just changing our perspective on lots of things. Um, for example, like she's really eaten barely anything by mouth ever since she was born. Um, you know, but recently we've been able to increase that a little bit, but it's still a really tiny amount, you know, uh, but it's a little bit of progress. So it's like just all of the, those timelines, scales, everything has changed. You know, there's a real possibility. She never talks. Um, she's not verbal. She can make lots of noises and she can be very, very loud at times, <laughs> but she can't form words right now. Um, so it's just, it's, it's like keeping in mind those things, right. Going like, okay, what, what do we have now? Be thankful for what we have now compared to like, it could have been a lot worse. Right. Um, and then, uh, in the future it's, it's thinking about the future, trying to plan as much as you can, but knowing that things might change, uh, that's been big for me. Uh, you know, there was a time where I remember, my dad said, this was probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, but he said something about like, we might have to like retrofit our bathroom to like put in like a hoist type system for my daughter. Cause she can't walk or anything on her own. Um, and I was like, I don't even want to go there yet. Yeah. You know, like, mm -hmm. like, sure. We'll probably have to do something like that, but I'm not, I don't really want to think about it yet. Um, you know, that was sort of my knee jerk reaction, but then I thought later going, I probably should think about that, you know, and like sit with it and go, there's a real possibility that I'm going to have some crazy contraption in our bathroom to be able to lift my daughter so she could take a bath or something, you know? Um, 
Cause you know, as it is right now, she's like 33 pounds or something. And like, that's getting pretty heavy <laughs> with the carrier mm-hmm. around to do anything. Um, so I can, you know, can't even imagine when she gets a lot bigger than that. Um, but it's good to think about and sort of sit with and go, okay, what might, what might my life look like in a few years, you know, or even much longer than that, you know, like there's a very real possibility that she has to live with us, you know, basically her whole life. Um, you know, so it's not easy to think about. It's like, I of course wanted, want, wanted much different things for her, but at the same time, I also have to try to have this perspective, right? Like right now she's three years old. She's like very happy kid for the most part. Um, you know, she has her moments like any kid, but she is for the most part really happy. And she's always like smiling and kind of laughing and making different happy noises. You know, um, she's aware of what's going on around her. She's able to interact with us, you know, make, you know, react to what we do and things like that. Um, and we have like amazing services in the area that we live in to help her with like physical therapy, occupational therapy, things like that. So it's like having all this perspective is a big part of that vulnerability and that like thinking about these things more deeply and not trying to just sweep it under the rug and not think about it, you know? For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to, to hear that about her. And it also gives you a sense, I think a better sense than most people have about what living well means, because you now realize that as long as she has the capability to be, to be happy and to live well and be, um, be cared for and be surrounded by love, you know, then that is infinitely more important than, than some of the things that uh, totally able people can, can achieve, you know, and just knowing that this is possible and, and seeing her smile, that's I'm sure the biggest relief in, in all of this, you know, that at the end of the day, there's a person there that I love who's totally capable of understanding that uh, get accepting this love and and loving back and that is the most important thing um yeah that's fascinating and I've also been thinking about how you know we like we said we established we don't want to go into the bad places and it's interesting for me to think about now how this um, corresponds with desire or our tendency to obsess about good things that may happen. And how is it is, it is for us to um, go for minutes on end thinking about the things that we really want, uh, whether it's an object like a new something a new big something where it's just the, uh, you know, the general being rich, whether it's um, the promotion or whatever, or the love we're going to experience. And these things we can go on and on about. And it's almost the, the inverse of the bad stuff we don't want to happen. Uh, we're very prone to actually spending too much time uh, imagining all the, the good things uh, to the point where it creates a desire that we can't control and that can be a pathology as well. And it's interesting how in the end, it seems to me, and I, 
I'll be happy to hear if you agree that just as we think about, just as we should be able to think about the bad things, but not dwell on them, we should think about the good things, but not dwell on them and be taking uh, each moment, you know, and seeing it for what it is. And I think that if we do that, you really see that most most moments are a little bit on the positive side, you know, which is interesting. Yeah. What's interesting, one thing I thought of with, while you were talking about how we think about the future and what we want, I think that's somewhat true, although I think this is kind of similar to how I talked about being vulnerable in writing is it probably would help to, for people to be more specific, right? Um, I mean, it's one thing to say like, I would, I want a Tesla or something like, okay, that's pretty specific. But if you're just like, I want to get rich or I want to make more money or I want to get a promotion, it's like, okay, well, why, right? Like what's, get more specific. What's the goal here, right? I think for myself, I've definitely done more of the, like, I'm just like continuing to go and I don't really, you know, for a long time, I didn't really have like a very clear plan or like, you know, objective that I was trying to get and why I was trying to do that. Um, interestingly enough, though, I think having a family has brought that into focus more for me. I think for a long time, I was more just like, I want to, especially when I got into startups in the tech world, it was like, I want to be a startup, you know, want to be able to start something from very small and make it into something big. And then maybe have some sort of outsized, you know, return on that effort, right? Uh, monetarily, um, and make some sort of impact in the world. Um, but that was very—that's still kind of vague, you know. It's like, okay, well, what the hell does that mean, you know? And then, right. like, you know, I end up joining some company that's doing like ad tech stuff. It's like, how is that fitting that narrative at all? Or, or was it just <laughs> I needed a job and it was? pretty conveniently right there, you know, um, but with that one in particular, I started making pretty good money at it. And it was like, okay, well now I'm just fighting this by being able to provide for my family. Right. And save more for our future. Um, but ultimately it was one of those things where I'm like, this job just does not sit well with me. Um, we don't have to go into the specifics of that particular position, but eventually made the decision to move on, but also the company was sort of like closing its doors. But since then I've, I've done a lot more introspective thinking on career, right? And what does that even mean? What does work mean for me? What do I want to be doing? Um, you know, I will first of all say that I'm very lucky and privileged to be in the place where I'm at, where I have, you know, a fair amount of money saved up, but then also my wife works and she makes, she makes pretty good money. So I'm able to have that freedom to sort of do this introspection where I know a lot of people aren't in that position. Uh, but that being said, you know, I've been able to, you know, try to align my activities more with where I want to get. Right. And, you know, I don't need to be like insanely wealthy is what I've realized. I need enough to be able to pay the bills and like save for the future. And also, you know, to the point where we don't need to work, 
40 hours a week necessarily to make ends meet um, and save for the future. And, uh, you know, there's, I, I think I'll be doing some form of work for a long time. Um, but it's, I think it's not going to feel as much like work as some other things I've done in the past where it's like literally getting paid a certain amount for every hour that I put in, you know, it's a little bit more nebulous, um, but also less predictable, but I like that, you know, and I think that's been my way of like examining, you know, what's important to me. And then also knowing that I need to save for my family and to be able to, you know, fund our future, if you will. Um, so that, so that takes a little bit of that self-inquiry and vulnerability too, right. To think about these future things. Um, because a lot of people, I think they just think like, oh, they just want their bank account number to go up. Like I worked for a guy like that for sure, where he would freak out if the numbers, you know, at work were a little bit flat one month or down a little bit. And it's like, he just sees the bank account going down and that's bad. It's like, well, hold on, we're working on this deal and this deal, and we're trying to get it, and then it'll, it'll, you know, we'll we'll get there as long as we do the work. But he didn't see it that way. It was just like he was in in a bad mood if the number was going down. He's in a good mood if the number was going down. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, like a that's like not a, a fun way fan. to live. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, but you know, in in the <laughs> there's a funny story with this guy, but he um. I remember he was complaining about the numbers one day. I was on this call and there was all this noise in the background. And, and uh, he's like, oh, sorry, guys. And he's just complaining about the money, complaining about the money. And then he goes, oh, sorry, guys, we're getting our kitchen remodeled. So I'm going to move to this other room. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess the money's doing okay enough for you to remodel your whole damn kitchen. That's not cheap. You know? So like, it was obviously there was like a misalignment there, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so... I imagine he could probably, it would serve him well to, to do a little bit of analysis on like what right. wealth means for him or whatever, but well, I wasn't about to go there with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so much easier to quantify things than to qualify things, right? Because thinking mm, about, yes. you know, if we speak about a concept like vulnerability, how, how do you quantify it? There's no way you can't measure vulnerability numbers or or make yeah. two vulnerabilities as concepts there's just one and you have to qualify it and it's true with any concept um i think that you're totally right about having these privileges and i share them with you of just not, not being in a in a very tough financial spot or anything like that but these things should be given to us as tools in at the ages where we are all going to school and it's kind of, we're being disappointed by the, and we don't know it maybe, but we're being let down by the system and our parents, our main educators who are not giving us the tools to just do it earlier in life, to think about these things and think through um, the chains of, Things. What do I mean by chains of things? We usually think a new something is good, right? Mm, and we yeah. miss the fact that the good is what is fitting. This thing that is good is good for something. Well, it turns out that these things that we usually chase are, are hedonic, right? So they are good for giving us a, a peak of pleasure, 
at that moment. But life is a long game. And actually, even if you're very rich, you are likely to run out of peaks. You know, even Elon Musk, he could eat at any good restaurant in the world, but he'll do that in, in just two months if, if he wanted. You know, he'll have all these mm -hmm. peak experiences and life is a longer game than that. And we have to aim at something and not lose our sight when we look at this big thing that we're mentioning. And to me, it's, it's well-being. It's living well. And living well, if you look into it, I think it becomes clear if you look at it for long enough that it's not about what you have or these things that are good for pleasure. It's about your internal um, gears working in, in harmony. It's about this whole thing exerting itself because it can, because we're healthy um, in, in soul, first and foremost, that our soul is healthy. And um, yeah, so why am I saying that? Because this is something that we are not being taught at a young age. And we, if we come to that realization, it's a lot of the time because we suffered such a uh, traumatic experience that, you know, it makes us the kind of person who now has to admit that a day where nothing special happened is a great day. And what does it mean? Nothing special. It is special if you look at the quality of it, not the quantity of it. So for every day that I spend with my wife and daughter, and we spend it kind of relaxing or doing something for us, for fun for us. Now I've come to this point in my life where I feel like every day like that, so of course, it's not a peak experience. But every day like that, at the end of the day, I can go to sleep and imagine this like little drop of well-being, of like long-term happiness, kind of just going ploop into a mm -hmm. big barrel that's been collecting all these small raindrops. And this is the something that I can look back on that really makes me happy. This is a big barrel. And it's this kind of peak experience every time that I think about it, just keeps on growing as time goes, you know, and it's much bigger than any sort of momentary um, moment of, of heightened pleasure or, or peak experience. Yeah, man, you brought up a lot of stuff for me. So you immediately made me think of my dad. So my dad passed away in April this year. Um, and uh, so I think death can bring some perspective of course right um definitely he's the most the person i've been the closest with that has passed away um so my dad he was you know like a, any any parent you know relationship could be complex in different ways but uh i i remember so he grew up without much money um you know i think for most of his childhood and i remember he told me long time ago, he said at one point he made this, not like a vow, but he sort of said to himself, like, I'm going to work my ass off so I can have like nice things. And because like when he was young, he didn't have much and, you know, they were struggled to, you know, get like basic things at times. So, you know, he would get 
the nicest car and the nicest like suit or whatever. He was a real estate agent and, you know, he would justify the new car every few years because, oh, I have to like take clients around in it and I have to have a nice car. And I'm like, okay, well, that seems like an excuse, but you know, but I grew up in that environment where it's like, he would go, oh, if it's the most expensive, it's probably the best one, that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, not every, he, he didn't do good every year, but, uh, cause the market fluctuates or whatever, but for the most part, he did, he did very well for himself. Um, and he could afford that sort of lifestyle. Um, you know, I very much not like that, but there was a time when I kind of was more like that, where I'd buy more things. I would be spending more money. I would, uh, yeah, like you said, sort of try to fill any, like, yeah, or like have these like little moments of like joy because I got some new thing or whatever. Um, and, you know, like there was a time, even when I was in the, my band years ago and I had like four bass guitars and each one was like four grand or something. I mean, I don't have to pay full price for all of them, but because I had this like endorsement deal, but still like they weren't cheap. And I'm like, do I really need four of these? Like I thought that later. <laughs> so um yeah, that's like a little example, but, um, you know, even, so that was so ingrained in my dad, like his whole life. And, and I don't think he ever realized like, this is not really bringing him the joy he thinks it is, you know, um, getting the new iPhone every year or whatever it was, you know, uh, but like, even up to like the last, like the week before he passed, he was buying like different accessories for his, his apple watch or whatever like different things and then um you know getting stuff from my mom and things like that so he was generous in that way so it wasn't always about him but you know like there's like packages that arrived after he passed you know that my mom opened that he had Mm. bought which is a little weird um and it's just like to his like final days he was still just like you know running up the amazon bill (laughs) um but you know i think many, many years ago, I've kind of realized that that's how he is. And I don't necessarily need to be that same way. And I have a diff- much different relationship to money than he does or did. Um, and then, you know, like, for example, like I have this car now that, you know, it's all paid off and, you know, has well over a hundred thousand miles on it. And, you know, I'm just like, I'm just going to keep driving. It's fine. I don't need anything new, but he was even, you know, a year ago saying like, Oh, you should get one of the Teslas. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I do not want to spend that kind of money right now. You know? So it's just different priorities. Right. Um, Cause I, I'm more, I'm more in the camp of like, I don't want to spend the money now because I want it to work for me and accrue interest so that I don't have to work as much in the future. Right. Uh, I've started to think of money as more like units of time in a sense. Right you go, okay, if I spend this much money, that's like, I have to work that much more in the future, right? Yeah. Or that, that extends my retirement date out further, right? right. Um, so it's just different ways of thinking about it. But, you know, maybe he would have done some self-inquiry. Maybe he did at some point and he was like, eh, you know what? I make enough. I want to have like, I want to enjoy these nice things. And I'd be, like, I'd be like, great. If you did that self-analysis and you realize like these aren't going to like, bring you the ultimate happiness that's great um and maybe he did i don't know we never really talked that deeply about that type of stuff but um i think even him he would recognize though something that you said where ultimately comes down to 
these smaller experiences and then not just for yourself, but the people around you um, and your family, those you're closest with. Um, those are like the things that you remember, you know, uh, we, you know, I, I was this, this weekend, we didn't do much as a family. We just kind of hung around the house. And then yesterday we went on this like longer hike type thing, um, about an hour away from our home. And, you know, it was just like nice to spend time with my family. You know, it, it wasn't like you said, like some peak experience. We didn't go skydiving or something, you know, like not, we didn't have some crazy experience, but we just were together and, you know, got, got to spend time together. And like, those are those moments that really matter. Right. Um, and I think my, I think my dad would agree with that even, uh, even though he did like a lot of material things, um, but, you know, de definitely like I, I had that realization after he passed, especially like helping my mom uh, organize different things like, you know, get rid of stuff or sell things or give it away or whatever. Just realized like how much stuff he had accumulated and, and ultimately how little it matters in the long run, you know, um, these material items that we sometimes covet or, or really like, you know, have this like, strong desire for whatever they may be right like in the end they're just another inanimate object you know Ab absolutely and yeah it's interesting because just this story of your dad just shows you know you say he was trying to as 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 are we all to some extent trying to uh, we have desires we have wants which you know literally means we're lacking something we're trying to fill this with something whenever we want something um and it's really about seeing what you have and recognizing it as a, a net positive and not needing anything on top of it so what i'm saying is like highlighting the fact that maybe had your dad and again, if, if, you, if you know the nice things for what they are, that they are just nice, but you don't kind of get hooked, hooked on, on, the, on feeling that, uh, you know, you must get the, the new stuff all the time. Um, but if you just look at how good the small things are and how they um, are accumulating, then you just don't have this, this hole that, that you need to fill and it's easier to even think about something big that you want but then you have this you know in my case it's my barrel full of of drops of happiness that are just are just days where i just got to spend time with my people and also it's really interesting that this type of big thing like my barrel is not built with anything that has monetary value you know what builds it up what builds this type of wealth are relationships which as you mentioned you need time to form relationships that are stable that are strong to have these bonds and uh, they are seriously hampered if you are going to work for um you know dozens of hours every week and and exert yourself in that way, then 
if you see your family for an effective, let's say, I don't know how many hours a week you can really be there with all your energy, like 20 max, probably less than half than what you spend at work. Um, that would be hard to, to have relationships. If you spend all your time doing work that's not particularly creative or not creative in the way that actually your own self um, wishes for itself, then you're missing out on being creative, which I think is a huge part of living well because being creative is creating something new and new means novel and novel means um, that it can still generate pleasure for you because things that are not novel, they, they lose their charm and we just toss them away. Yeah. That's exactly why the new things don't last in terms of, in terms of pleasure. You know, you've been driving that new car for a week. Well, now it's your old car. So <laughs> totally. Well, it's almost like you have your, your barrel and there's leaks in it, right? There's little cracks and water is leaking out. Um, and, you know, you, you said something about like work, right? So work doesn't necessarily like it could be creative, but creative can mean different things for different people, right? Like some people just love to get into like an Excel spreadsheet and do things, right? And that's just like, they feel comfortable there and, you know, intellectually stimulated or whatever. And that's creative for them. And that's awesome. You know, there's all kinds of people, maybe, you know, someone, you know, doing something that's, you know, you wouldn't think of as necessarily like creative work, but it might feel that way to them, or they might connect with other people in their work, uh, you know, and they, and that's what they love about it. Uh, so, you know, I think it's, it's, that's important to consider. Um, but is thinking of your barrel analogy of like things just leaking out. Right. Um, and, and it's like, if you're not feeding it enough of the good stuff, you're going to run out <laughs> and, you know, and that's going to cause burnout. That's going to cause, you know, fractured relationships. That's going to cause all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, one thing I was thinking of earlier, I don't know if you mind me kind of changing this subject a little Go bit, ahead. not really change the subject, but um, <laughs> there was something I heard, or maybe I read it. I, I'm not going to remember where it came from, but it stuck with me um, where pretty much everything we do as humans is some form of pain avoidance, right? So, it, 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 you know, you can say, you can pretty much boil down everything to pain avoidance. So you're hungry. So you eat, you ate because, you know, you had this urge to, you know, pain to eat, uh, but let's say you're not hungry, but you still eat. Well, you're probably trying to cover up some other sort of pain going on, like maybe some emotional uh, trauma that you're going through or something like that. And so you turn to food. Um, I mean, I'm going on this podcast. Like why did, why did I go on this podcast? Uh, maybe it's, maybe the pain is, is, is like, I'm feeling like I need to like in connect intellectually with someone, you know, and, um, you reached out and that sounded fun, you know? So it's like, that's solving some sort of problem for me. Um, and you know, and maybe, you know, I think a lot of things we, we do can be boiled down to that. Uh, you know, social media is a great example, right? Like you go, why do people go on Twitter and Facebook and all these every day? Right. And it's to cure boredom. It's to 
feel connected to another person in some way is to get some sort of validation or something like that. It's almost all pain related. Like we're, we carry, like humans carry a lot of pain, period, right? Life could be painful and hard. Um, so we're always looking for different ways to do it. Some people do it through buying things. Some people do it through life experiences. Um, but I think ultimately human connection is very important. Uh, and then like, especially with the people you're closest to. Um, and that's why we have like, as long as humans have existed, have like ended up in these tighter knit communities and relationships and stuff, because it's so important to, you know, who we are as just animals really. Right. That's we're like social animals. Uh, but yeah, so that, that came to mind when you were talking about uh, that last piece. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, the, um, originally being a, a hedonist, at least in the, in ancient Greece, there was a, a group of people that bought a garden outside of Athens and, um, they were called hedonists, right? But they were not seeking the type of life of, of getting all the good, nice things that will make them pleasurable. They believed that the good life is just a life uh, devoid of pain like what you're expressing now. Um, so that's actually, they were hedonist in the sense that their whole philosophy revolved around pleasure and pain, but it's not about maximizing pleasure, it's about minimizing pain. So uh, that's, that's quite an ancient idea. Um, if I have any sort of idea to, it doesn't sit with me completely correctly because I spent many years um, obsessed with with death and just having like suicide is something that's kind of hovering around all the time and I think that's actually I'm not being facetious when I say if you want to avoid any pain or anything at all like the easy way out is to is to kill yourself right um, and so if you actually try to minimize pain the best way to go about it is is to just uh, do away with with everything um and of course pain is kind of this teacher that we get when we are still hiddenist and we don't see anything that's good beyond pleasure um of course we want to to avoid that and as organisms that don't think you know the, like most other animals are don't think in the way we do um just avoiding pleasure is good enough, I guess. Um, but for us, I think there is more to that. So I don't know, something intuitively <laughs> um, in me wants to, to push back against this a little bit and say, you know, there is, a, there is a good life and there is something to be enjoyed. And although it's yeah. true, like I, I, I can relate to the fact you know, and can relate it into to my story when I say that any good day where I didn't suffer in it was positive in a sense. So I I will grant it that. Yeah, I think I'm more thinking of it from like like the the idea that a lot of things that we do without thinking are avoiding pain. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Oh um, yeah, we're hedonists. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Um, because I think some people will think like, oh, 
maybe they'll judge other people or they'll judge themselves about things they do. And they're like, Oh, I'm always like doing the wrong thing or, or picking the thing that's going to make things hardest for me. And it's like, probably not. You're probably trying to avoid some sort of pain in some way. And maybe it just doesn't go the way you think, or maybe you weren't thinking it all the way through, or you got unlucky or whatever it may be. Right. Um, but I was just thinking of it in the mostly, yeah. Like, these sort of default things that we do. Oh yeah. Thinking, yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Um, like why do we buy certain things? Uh, we're probably trying to like fill some sort of void or whatever, um, uh, or solve a problem. It could be, you know, just make our lives easier or something. That's a form of pain. Right. Um, you know, like I have a dishwasher in my house. I could wash my dishes on my own, but I bought a dishwasher, which <laughs> spend a bunch of money on, you know, probably, I don't even know what it costs too much. Probably. But that's so I don't have to like wash the dishes every night, you know, like that's a little bit of a pain avoidance uh, type of activity, um, you know, but then there, but I think it, I was, when I heard that it was in the, mostly in the context of how we, how we interact with things like social media um, and how we sort of do it without thinking. Oftentimes we open up our phone, next thing we're now we're on Twitter and we're like, scrolling away and mm. you know mm. 20 minutes have gone by and we're like what the hell am i doing you know um or you're like i i know i've done this and i'm sure you have or other people uh listening where you know you open your phone to check something and then the next thing you know you've done four other things and you don't even remember why you initially opened your phone right all right, all right. um those things are maybe all pain avoidance or it's you know trying to just feel like you're on top of things or whatever it may be. Um, we've all, we all play these little games in our own head. Um, so I think, yeah, I feel like we've, we've strayed a lot from the topic of vulnerability, but maybe talking about this as being vulnerable. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think, it, yeah, it takes, it takes that intentional thinking about things to go like, wait, why am I doing this? Is this important to me? Um, I do think with social media in particular, people are a lot more people are having that conversation with themselves and going like, how important is Instagram in my life, you know, um, or whatever it may be. Um, and prioritizing that a little, you know, prioritizing the thought about that a little bit more to sort of analyze how important it is in their life. Uh, I feel like that conversation, people are talking about that more these days, mm -hmm. generally, um, but uh, which is, I think, ultimately a positive thing, but um but it does it's not easy it's easier to just like go about your day and then scroll through facebook and find something that makes you laugh say find something that makes you angry whatever and, and then and then just like stay in that habitual mode um but it does come i think it does come from trying to solve something right maybe you're trying to avoid something going on in your life that's difficult and you're just sort of like you know, disassociating for the moment. Um, yeah. Anyway, like I went on a tangent there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No. Uh, so yeah, first I, I do agree that we're all born hedonists because that's our way of survival. You know, we're babies. We want to uh, step away from pain and we want our mother's milk. And, you know, obviously that's the most pleasure we get. And we just see them kind of, uh, dozing off with a smile on their faces you know the little babies are just like oh hey. ah. um, <laughs> so we're definitely born that and I think with social media of course there's 
there are many people that when they are left alone with their thoughts, it's, it's, a tor it's torture to them. And I think it also comes back to novelty, which I mentioned. It's, it's a way for us to seek that novelty where curious creatures want to, to get a taste of something new all the time and um, have her mind, have her curios curiosity picked by things. And, but this is the uh, faded replacement to creativity. So creativity, I think, is the ultimate way to spend our time we want which by the way interestingly means that we want problems to work on you want to have problems in your one mm. and problem is interesting because i was going to say it earlier when you mentioned an obstacle like the obstacle is the way well problem in ancient greek means something protruding right so either it's put forth in conversation to be discussed but it can also be seen as an obstacle and in any case it's the thing you're working on right now and you want to work on things you want to be creative doing that and that inherently provides you with novelty which if not present you're going to seek in social media and and things like that and social media you know it just happens to be that it's like empty calories right so it gives you <laughs> a little bit of novelty um, until you zoom out a bit and you see that all this novelty that, you know, were smaller oscillations. Now you've zoomed out a bit and it's flat again. You know, so you want to be exerting yourself to actually see these oscillations, even on a, on a, if you zoom out further, I think. So, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting way of putting it. I do, I do look at like my, the impact I've made. I, I, I think Twitter's. I've, I've definitely ramped up my use of Twitter as a, like a tweeter, as opposed to just consuming tweets um, within the last or a little over a year now, um, partially just because I wanted to just be out there more so people, more people could find my writing. Right. But there's definitely a difference between putting out a tweet and the discussion around that um, or sometimes lack thereof. Um, and then between that and then my newsletter, uh, pieces where you know i'm thank uh, thankfully get a fair amount of engagement on my writing um and so there's like good discussion in the comments um or people will reply and send me an email uh with their thoughts or like today this guy texted me about a piece i wrote this weekend um who i'm i don't really i don't know him personally but we like he had a similar situation with his daughter and so something i wrote resonated with him um that's so much more valuable to me than like people liking my tweet or whatever, um, you know, but as a creator, it's a, feels like a little bit of a necessary evil to like, to get things out there, um, because I'll be able to reach eyeballs. I wouldn't otherwise be able to. Um, and so then I hope that they, some percentage of them, which is probably a very small percentage will end up in my world, uh, where I send them an email every Saturday with my latest piece. Um, but yeah, I mean, before I used to, I mean, I would tweet here and there, but for the most part, it'd be just scrolling through and reading stuff. And it's not adding a lot of value to my life, you know? Um, every once in a while, you see something, you're like, changes your mind about something or like gives you some perspective, which is cool. But um, that's the hard in, in that part. Sense, sometimes, if, sometimes you really do find good yeah, things. That's what's so totally. frustrating. 
<laughs> you know? know and i've had something i'm like i reference it years later even or exactly tweet, you know exactly um totally and, and and obviously not to mention like there's been like very like important historical things that have happened on social media right mm-hmm. um from like people that are much more popular and powerful than myself um so yeah i mean it's here to stay that's for sure so it's like how do we how do we deal with it you know and not just become a bunch of people that are just mindlessly scrolling through the you know we're like playing the slot machine game and hoping that we get a bit of wisdom to come through or a funny joke or something yeah at um, least we're all vulnerable when talking about that we we all readily <laughs> admit our faults when it comes to social media at least there's no facade out there i don't think anybody's keeping a facade of like i have it under control it's like yeah <laughs> we basically all know uh we're just I do, addicts kind of going back to your piece about creativity though i'm i'm like pretty regularly blown away at how like funny people could be and you know clever or whatever they have these responses to things that are going on in the news like right away that like are very very like good critiques or or um like i always come back to like the funny because it, it, some people are just so hilarious to me and now I, it's like i have more people have more access to that or just like everyone's creative minds right which that's sort of like a very i guess positive way of looking at social media but but i think i'm always blown away by that like you read something you're like man how does someone even think of that and it like cracked me up or whatever it was um so in some ways it's made us a little bit more creative or more willing to share that with with the world and not just make a funny joke to your wife or something you know um which i think that's a net positive uh for the most part uh, as long as it's in good good faith um but but it does, I think that that mindless scrolling and stuff like that does hinder creativity for the most part. Um, so it's like you have to purposely break yourself away from that to go and do creative work um, because it's easier to scroll. It's easier to just, yeah, scroll through the, the timeline and see what comes up as opposed to going like, okay, I'm going to write something about <laughs> you know one of the hardest days of my life or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah right well um, i'm i'm definitely but I, I would also... say that i would say that the rewards for doing the work are better than the rewards you get for t- tossing off a dumb joke on twitter <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm also struggling to master this uh double-edged sword you know it's, <laughs> it's hard for all of us yeah um so i want us to go back to to vulnerability and maybe see how what ground we we covered i think at the heart of it is the potential that we mentioned to really make accessible to people the fact that um life can hurt things do go wrong and maybe show us a way to be happier with what we already have um be content with um peaks that are not so much peaks but consistency over um over um i don't know what's the word here you're the writer <laughs> <laughs> well so one thing that comes to mind is uh well the piece i wrote this weekend was about travel and how travel is more difficult for me and my family um and and i have always i've had this like daydream of like my wife and I both can work remote. So I'm like, we can work from anywhere, right? Like we can work 
from like a beach in Bali or something. It doesn't matter as long as there's Wi-Fi, we can do mm -hmm. our job. But the reality is it's like not, not that easy, right? My, my daughter who has all these services around here and um, also like we ha she has all these like medical devices like to, to help her. So anywhere we go, we have to lug all this stuff around. Um, and not to mention my stepdaughter who spends half her time with her dad and she's going to school. And so it's not like we would want to like spend a month away from her or like take her out of school or something like that, you know, or and away from her, her uh, dad, right. And his family. Mm -hmm. So, so it's just not realistic, right. To do right now. Um, but, you know, I think it's like, I, I had this, I, I concept towards the end of the piece where I said, you know, there's probably someone that that's out there like doing that. Um, what do they call it? Um, the digital nomad life mm -hmm. where they can work from wherever. And, and they may be in an Airbnb somewhere working away in some foreign country and really wishing that they owned a home and that they could have a family that they could eat dinner with every night, you know, and, and they might be envious of my life, even though maybe I'm a little envious of theirs at times, you know, and I think just sometimes talking about these, writing about these things for me is just like, huge perspective shift for me. It's just like, I, I can get stuck in these moments of like, God, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. You know? And like, uh, it's like, it's uh, mourning the things that I can't do in a way. Right. Um, but being able to talk about it or write through it and that gives me that perspective on, okay, actually, you know, all things considered could be a lot worse for me. Um, Right, that you know, being vulnerable and going through all that, I think is is helpful for me, um, and I think that's where I can help. You know, even though I'm talking about specifics to my life, like that piece, I got a great response from people who, some of them don't even have kids. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's just like, actually, I know a fair amount of them that don't who commented, and and it's it's not about having a kid. It's not about having a kid with a disability. Uh, to relate to it it's more just like we all have these things of like oh and the grass is greener over here or whatever it is right so it's like a, that's sort of a universal human thing um so i'm tapping into that but through a specific story where i'm getting a little bit vulnerable and putting it all out there about my situation um yeah great well um i hope we were vulnerable enough for listeners <laughs> today and that uh universal takeaway could be found here i dare say it could um so i'm i'm so happy to to have you here lyle and thank you so much and it, this would be a good time for you to uh tell people where they could find you so if it's addresses handles whatever yeah uh pretty simple lyle.substack.com is where i write everything um, that's the advantage of having a unique first name, <laughs> um, <laughs> and being early to these things. Uh, and then elsewhere I'm Lyle McKinney or at Lyle McKinney. So, uh, I'm sure you'll put that somewhere in the notes, but yeah, mostly active on Twitter compared to other ones. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, but yeah, I would say the Substack page, my, my, my newsletter is, the best place because that's where i put my more fully fledged thoughts and not just a bunch of dumb dad jokes that i throw on twitter <laughs> <laughs> fantastic well lyle it's been it's been great and thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your stories and thoughts with me
Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks.